morning, ladies. I hope you had a first uh, good discussion group time today. I know uh, my group was great. In fact, I was um, laughing. We had such great sharing. Maggie shared quite a bit, and I said, oh my gosh, you literally just shared what I'm going to be teaching today. So there you go. We could bring Maggie up here now instead of me. <laughs> so how about you ladies? Did you get to discuss a lot of good stuff? Oh my gosh, it's so rich. It's so rich. So what I'm up here to do today is I'm going to be tag teaming kind of on Priscilla. She started us with the the, um, an introduction to the tabernacle, and I'm going to finish that off because we're laying a foundation still, right, to help us understand the purpose of the tabernacle. And so we want to make sure that we have a good grasp of what this meant to the people of Israel and even to us when God said, you have them build a sanctuary for me like this pattern, and I will literally dwell with you. So as Beth says in her video, we have to comprehend what they lost to appreciate what they were going to gain. And that's kind of something that we really landed on today. It's like sometimes we don't realize what it is that we lost when we were sent out of Eden. And so um, we had great discussion on that. So if you've got your booklets in front of you, we're going to be on page 28, and we're looking at that diagram. So what we get to do here today is to make connections in the scriptures that are found between God's heavenly dwelling, the Garden of Eden, and the tabernacle. And I hope you find this as fun as I did. Um, I love these types of connections. They're found throughout all of Scripture. And it's really cool when you get to see them because it makes you that much more excited to study. But I kind of need you to have listening ears and a thinking cap at times because it gets, sometimes it gets a little technical. But, um, especially if the Bible's new to you. But don't get discouraged. It's, it's just a puzzle. We're doing one piece at a time and we don't have to get it all at once. So the diagram that you're looking at, it shows God's heavenly dwelling coming down to the Garden of Eden, and then we look metaphorically east to the tabernacle, right? So we're going to start with God's heavenly dwelling. And remember last week, Priscilla emphasized the fact that, this heavenly, that in the heavenly realm, there is a reality of this tabernacle. So Hebrews 8.5 was a verse that she quoted from last week, and I'm going to pick up with that. Um, and it says, in speaking of the priests... And let me stop on that word priests because um, we might, some of us might know what it is, but if you don't, it's going to come up a lot in what I have to say today. The priests were the people who were part of the nation of Israel from the Levite tribe that would be chosen by God. They had a job, and they were going to basically be the mediators between God and the people, and the people and God. So that was their job. They would minister in that sanctuary, and you're going to hear a lot about that today. So Hebrews 8.5 says, and speaking of the priests, it says, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. So to repeat, there's a heavenly reality that God was looking upon and he caused Moses to be able to see it with his eyes. And he told Moses to make a copy of it, a replica, a duplicate right here on planet earth. Blueprints were given to him of a real place, and every part of it is full of meaning. That's what we're going to be studying over the coming weeks. Some of it's going to be obvious, and some of it will just be little hints, but it's just amazing in itself to think about the fact that Moses saw something that was really in the heavenly, eternal dwelling. So you have here, um, you're going to have some fill-in-the-blanks coming up. 
So let's start looking at some connections, and we're going to compare a couple of settings. Now, this is easy for us if you wanted to open your Bible, actually. It's the very last book in the Bible we're going to go to first, which is Revelation 22. I'm going to be reading from verses 1 and 2. So we're going to be paying attention to these, what kind of an environment we've got here. Then the angel of the Lord showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruits each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Okay, so there's our eternal dwelling. Now we're going to jump all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. So what words did you see there that appear in both settings? Anybody, just shout them out. Tree. Right, we see a tree and we see a river. So I'm going to now read two more references. They're not as easy to find in your Bible. Ezekiel 28, 13 and 14. In talking about Eden again, the garden of God, verse 14, God's actually speaking about Lucifer here. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. Then we jump over to Hebrews. New Testament passage, 12, verse 22. It's again looking into the eternal dwelling, just like Revelation. And in this verse, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So we have a mountain in Eden, and we have a mountain in the heavenly dwelling. So now we get to fill in all three of our blanks, right? We have a river, we have a mountain, and we have a tree where we have trees. Now, all of these references are calling us back to make us think. We know which one is first, right? It didn't start in Eden and then find its way into the eternal dwelling. No, we know that God's eternal dwelling is eternal. That means it had no beginning and no end. It's always been exactly as it is. But when we go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, we saw there that God himself planted this garden in Eden, and he put man in it. And when he did that, he got to decide exactly what it would look like. And we can see from comparing these passages that he made it very, very similar to his heavenly dwelling, didn't he? So to repeat what we just learned, when God created the earth, he made it a completely distinct place. He was going to form man to inhabit it. But the fun comparison here is that he modeled it after the heavenly dwelling. God was bringing his heavenly home to planet earth. So this can't be a coincidence. These are clues to make us start asking questions, right? Okay. We're trucking along. Let's look at point two. We're going to talk about the consistency of God. Now, in this portion, we're going to move to an entirely different location. God's people are no longer in the garden, but let's see what does stay consistent. At the bottom of page 28 there from Exodus 7:15, in this scene, Moses is going back and forth. Israel has been in bondage in Egypt, and God has sent Moses to go back and forth saying, let my people go. So note God's wording to Moses here. God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning, and thou shalt say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. So serve me in the wilderness is the King James Version. 
And NIV says, worship me in the desert. These are going to be key words that we're going to talk about a lot. So now we find God's people a long way from paradise. And it's now described as a desert wilderness. And why was that? That was because back in Genesis 3.8, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you, and it will produce thorns and thistles for you. We're not in Eden anymore, are we? Every day we're intermingled ourselves with the thorns and the thistles. Life is messy. Marriages still end in divorce. Sickness and suffering abound, um, even in the church. But God wants us to see that his purposes are still consistent a bit with what he was doing in Eden. He wants to be with us in our mess. I say this because I don't want us to think that the thorns and thistles can make us think that there's no hope. Oftentimes I think we forget, maybe we don't even know that God feels this way about us. But he says, let my people go, that they may worship me in the wilderness or serve me in the desert. So tuck that phrase away. We're going to keep going here with God's consistency. Now we're at the top of page 29. And, well, you don't want to drop this baby and make a noise, wouldn't it? It's just about ready to lose it. <laughs> Top of page 29, we are going to now look at Genesis 3, 8. Now, remember, when I say consistency, what I'm saying is we want to look at what God was doing in paradise and how we see it flow into the wilderness and into the tabernacle. So Genesis 3, 8 says, Then they heard the Lord God, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The Lord God was walking in the garden. That's the kind of existence that they had with him. So can you imagine that? I think most of us would probably feel like, oh, man, if God would just walk with me, then things would be so much easier. Well, hang on to that. Okay, now let's jump ahead to the scriptures. In the, We're going to look into further as we get to the tabernacle area, and let's see what's consistent here. We look at Leviticus 26. Hmm. God says, I will put my dwelling place, that's the tabernacle he's talking about, among you, and I will not abhor you, meaning I'm not going to hate you, I love you, I've told you that. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. So this is God speaking to the Israelites in the tabernacle. Don't forget that. Slide, uh, the next slide tells us Deuteronomy 23, 14. For the Lord your God moves about or walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give up your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy. Okay, do you see the consistency? We're going to put all these together here. That The verse that we just said, the Lord your God moves about in your camp. We go back to Leviticus. I will walk among you and be your God. See, both of those settings are around the tabernacle, but both of those words in the Hebrew are the exact same terminology that God used in Genesis 3.8 about him walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. So do you see it? Something that they had in the garden, God is still inviting them to have outside of the garden, in the thorns and in the thistles. It's not going to be the same nearness, but it will be his presence. He is still bringing to them through, his, through this building, this dwelling place. This structure will show them how to come back and have a relationship with God. And this is just the beginning, ladies, right? God is always just progressively teaching us things. He wants us to connect these things. He wants to hearken us back to his presence in Eden. So this is a big deal. And this is what I loved about Beth says in the video. Because remember that what we're doing here is we are repeating or trying to regurgitate what Beth has taught us as we watch the video. So 
I love what she said here. Uh, she's saying that God is saying, I am the same God. You aren't in the same place, but I am the same God. When man had to leave the garden, God already had a plan and a way to go after him. So I suggest, if you take one note today, I would take this statement down, that I am the same God. You aren't in Eden anymore, but I am the same God. No more Eden, no more paradise. I've sent you to the east, metaphorically speaking, but God will say, you provide a dwelling place for me, and I will dwell among you. I will still walk with you. He's walking with us, ladies, even in our hardest moments. Okay, so just so that you know that um, I didn't make this up, and neither did Beth, um, I have a quote here from a Hebrew scholar who's done a lot of work in this area. Uh, so according to Dr. G.K. Beale, the same Hebrew verbal form, you can read that word for yourself, used for God's walking back and forth in the garden, also describes God's presence in the tabernacle. He basically summed up what I said over five minutes. Um, so we're going to move on to the next bullet point, and we're going to do this again with a couple more words. So hang tight with me. Genesis 2.15, let's see what was happening in the garden here. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So we see that when God put man in the garden of Eden, that man's primary commission was to work and take care of his garden home. So now we jump forward into the wilderness in the tabernacle and we look at Numbers 3, 7, and 8. And what do we see here? They, meaning the priests, are to perform duties for him and the whole community before the tent of meeting by doing the work of the tabernacle. So they are to take care of all the furnishings of the tent of meeting. This is where it can get a little tricky, so hang with me. When those two words are used together, the two words that we just saw commissioned to Adam to work and take care of his garden home in these other passages, when they're used together, they are overwhelmingly used of the priests and the priestly service in the tabernacle. So a number of scholars and commentaries suggest that what we're seeing here again is hence of the role of the priesthood was in the Garden of Eden. Same type of role. So to finish off uh, this slide here and fill in the blanks, hopefully we're in the right spot. But yeah, um, the scholars would say both terms occur together to describe the charge of the Levites for the tabernacle. Thus again suggesting a relationship between Eden and tabernacle. And then we connect the wording back to Exodus 7, 16, which we had on the bottom of page 28. We see God say, let my people go that they may serve, worship me in the desert wilderness. Guess what? Same word as work in Genesis 2 for Adam. And it's like, are you guys connecting the dots here? So work and take care is used over and over for the work of the priest in the tabernacle. So do you see there's a connection, a consistent theme that God is using God is wanting to still have this relationship with us through all the rebellion you read about this week and even through all the mess right here in the wilderness. So I'm going to give you another kind of lengthy quote. The preceding observation suggests that the writer of Genesis 2 was portraying Adam against a later portrait of Israel's priests. That Adam was the first picture of a priest who served in and took care of God's first temple, which was Eden talking about the garden. So literally God formed it. God planted this garden sanctuary for himself among man. So what he's saying is Eden was the first sanctuary for God to dwell with his people and Adam his first priest. So when they had to leave Eden, he eventually has a dwelling place built again for him to come and walk in his people's midst. And he commissioned them to do the same type of work. So in the garden, in the tabernacle, 
in the future temple, in Jesus himself, and now in followers of Christ like you and I, heaven meets earth. God has been creating a sacred space from the very beginning to bring heaven and earth together so he could dwell with his people and reveal himself to us. In a sense, to quote, I'm going to quote this guy I listen to all the time. He did a whole study on Exodus. God gave Moses blueprints for heaven on earth, the way back into Eden. And there's going to be so much more fun stuff that we're going to see as we see that tabernacle come together and the colors and the the things that are in it. It's all going to be beautiful, beautiful picture of Eden. Um, Okay, I'm going to go one layer deeper, so hang with me one more time. This was the part I actually just kept going over and over again. I didn't even want to do it, but I'm going to do it. So (laughs) we're going to look back again at a couple bullet points. Where And again, Exodus 7, 15, and 16. uh, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And now again, in the NIV, the word was worship me in the desert. So serve and worship is also the same word in the Hebrew that work is back in Genesis 2. It means that to do the work as service before God, and it means literally to worship God through doing whatever that service is for him, which is amazing to me because it started coming to like even what we're doing here. When we come and we study his word, it's like serving me in the wilderness is come and do life with me. Learn about me. Serve one another. And as you're doing that, it will actually be an act of worship. So there's a lot more in Beth's video. She goes even further into the word, take care, and all of that stuff. I'm stopping here in regards to these words. I listened to Beth teach it several times. So if you're not fully there yet, don't worry about it. You can actually go and watch her videos yourself. I highly recommend it. It's, it's a lot more and maybe even a lot clearer than I've been. So... Inside your book, it tells you how you can actually do that. Maybe your leaders can help you with it, or they already have. Um, But there's just so many amazing pictures and connections. Eden wasn't just a garden on planet Earth. The tabernacle isn't just a building in the desert. These are intentional, sacred spaces, sanctuaries for God to dwell with man intimately. Adam would have been his original priest to serve and worship him and maintain the garden. And again, when man had to be sent east, God pursued him still. And through the tabernacle in the wilderness, he's reopening Eden back up again. It was a lot harder to experience his presence, we're going to learn, in the tabernacle. It's not quite like Eden. But it was the beginning of something beautiful, and it's going to get even better than Eden when we're all done. So our last bullet point is on uh, something a little less technical. Page 29, under number two, I think it is, we're going to look at a play on words. It's just one of the many that are scattered throughout Scripture. Um, Genesis 2, 24 and 25, and 3, 1. And um, again, if we, were, if we had the ability to actually see and understand the Hebrew, we would see all this stuff a lot more clearer. So we need the help of these scholars. So Genesis 2.25 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now look at Genesis 3.1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. So now here's the play on word that is happening. The term naked, that Hebrew word there, is a play on the word crafty. See, they both have the same root there, and that describes the nature of the serpent. So naked meant smooth. The man was smooth in comparison to the animals. He had no hair or fur. 
The play on words is that the man's skin was smooth and the serpent's tongue was smooth, crafty. Now I want you to see how this works itself out. Nakedness was not about life with no clothes. That was not the point. They didn't know they didn't have clothes. It was that they had no shame or fear in the garden with God up to that point. This is what the enemy despises. Who is tra- anyone who is transparent and out there before God, who is not ashamed before God. Because they fell to Satan's temptation, they fell to shame. And we've been covering ourselves ever since for thousands of years. This still happens to us all the time. And I cannot think of a bigger work that God might want to do through this study than to teach each of us that we can quit covering in front of him and hopefully in front of each other, right? Nothing makes the enemy more angry than a woman being out there and open, not afraid to be who she is before God, even in her mess, humble and aware of her need. God says, I will cover you. I will cover you. The first animal was slaughtered to cover his people, not because they needed covering, but because they were ashamed. We don't need covering. God came, well, we do need covering. God came with covering of atonement, the sacrificial death of his own son instead of us. And we talked about that in our lesson. Psalm 32, 1 says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. God says to each one of us, I'll cover you so you don't have to cover yourself in front of me. If you really trusted, if you really believed, you would see you do not need to hide. You do not need to cover or pretend. As we begin in the weeks ahead to draw the diagram of the tabernacle, you will see that it has that gate on the east side. Do you see that parallel? Do you remember the word east in Genesis? They were sent east out of the garden after they were deceived. So you have to know it's no accident that after they were pushed out of the garden that when he decides to have it, a a building built that there's going to be an eastern entrance again and he's saying you can't have Eden but I will move you back into intimacy with myself that is a God in pursuit of man right hallelujah as we sang at the beginning we're going to conclude now with God's determination to connect earth with heaven so you looked in your homework this week at several occurrences of the word covenant if you looked up what that word means, you would find one of the English synonyms is synonyms. Remember cinnamon last week, Priscilla? <laughs> yeah, I said it too every time I practiced. <laughs> uh, it's determination. So we're going to celebrate that today, ladies. Your God is determined where you are concerned. He is determined to have you here. He was determined to have fellowship in Eden and in the wilderness. It's what we were made for, intimacy and fellowship with God himself. And if you're here today, he's coming for your heart. He wants more of it. It goes back to the very beginning that every piece of the tabernacle is full of meaning. When God gave Moses the blueprints for the tabernacle, I will repeat, God gave Moses the blueprints for heaven on earth, the way back into Eden. Last point to connect, number three in your book, Um, picture this. Let's stir our minds one last time. When we do draw that diagram, and I can't wait till you guys get to draw the diagram because those who get real worried about whether or not it's exactly accurate, they'll stress you out. It's got to be the right, each part, you know, you measure it out. Um, Anyways, when you do draw it, you'll see that it's made up of three components. There's an outer courtyard, there's the holy place, and then there's the holy of holies where God's presence is. Now, according to that scholar guy I quoted earlier, he says, 
and you'll see this all over the place. It's amazing. The three parts of Israel's temple represents the three parts of the cosmos, possibly. Let's think about this. The outer court would be visible earth, okay? We would be the farthest from the Holy of Holies. The holy place, the visible heavens. You're getting a little closer. The Holy of Holies, the actual dwelling of God. There's this, this three circle thing that we see even in your homework because I have an extra minute I'm going to say this when you hopefully you guys talked about it when uh, Moses did get the instructions from God he got called up to the very tip top of the mountain right and the elders had to be kind of down at the bottom of the mountain and then where was everybody else far away right so you have those three different components again and so God is saying one man one man will have access to me to flow everything else back out to you so I'm going to read from Isaiah 66, 1 now that says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. So God connects heaven with earth. Imagine God saying, I am sitting on my throne in the heavenly dwelling, but I stretch down my feet and I set them on planet earth. In the beginning, God made all the galaxies and he chose one little planet to put man on so he could meet with him, connecting heaven to earth. Of all the planets, the earth, our planet, is under his feet. So let's connect, ladies. Let's dive in and pray for the Spirit to help us see the scriptures and the treasures that are there that God is showing us of how much he has done to be with us in our wilderness desert time and how we can now worship and serve and take care of all that he has in front of us. There's so much more ahead of us that you're going to learn. Um, But I hope that today gets you excited even more about how the Bible is one big cohesive story that's progressively being revealed to us and uh, that it's like a song that plays the same melody over and over and over again. God loves you. And he's calling you to come near to him, nearer and nearer and nearer every day. He's made a way for us to have intimacy with him and fellowship. And we are lost without him. And his name is Jesus. Okay? Thank you so much, ladies. Enjoy your next week.